Section 8 of The Descent of Man, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsa Youngstead. The Descent of Man, Part 2, by Charles Darwin. Chapter 10. Secondary Sexual Characters of Insects, Part 1. In the immense class of insects, the sexes sometimes differ in their locomotive organs, and often in their sense organs, as in the pectinated and beautifully plumose antennae of the males of many species. In the chloeon, one of the ephemerae, the male has great pillared eyes, of which the female is entirely destitute. The ocelli are absent in the females of certain insects, as in the mutility, and here the females are likewise wingless, but we are chiefly concerned with the structures by which one male is enabled to conquer another, either in a battle or courtship, through his strength, pugnacity, ornaments, or music. The innumerable contrivances, therefore, by which the male is able to seize the female, may be briefly passed over. Besides the complex structures of the apex of the abdomen, which ought perhaps to be ranked as primary organs, these organs in the male often differ in closely allied species, and afford excellent specific characters. But their importance from a functional point of view, as Mr. R. McLaughlin has remarked to me, has probably been overrated. It has been suggested that slight differences in these organs would suffice to prevent the intercrossing of well-marked varieties or incipient species, and would thus aid in their development. That this can hardly be the case, we may infer from the many recorded cases of distinct species having been observed in union. Mr. McLaughlin informs me that when several species of Phryganidae, which present strongly pronounced differences of this kind, were confined together by Dr. August Meyer, they coupled, and one pair produced fertile ova. It is astonishing, as Mr. B. D. Walsh has remarked, how many different organs are worked in by nature for the seemingly insignificant object of enabling the male to grasp the female firmly. The mandibles or jaws are sometimes used for this purpose, thus the male Corydalis cornutus, a neuropterous insect in some degree allied to the dragonflies, etc., has immense curved jaws many times longer than those of the female, and they are smooth instead of being toothed, so that he is thus enabled to seize her without injury. One of the stag beetles of North America, Lucanus elaphus, uses his jaws, which are much larger than those of the females, for the same purpose, but probably likewise for fighting. In one of the sand wasps, Ammophila, the jaws in the two sexes are closely alike, but they are used for widely different purposes. The males, as Professor Westwood observes, are exceedingly ardent, seizing their partners around the neck with their sickle-shaped jaws. Mr. Walsh, who called my attention to the double use of the jaws, says that he has repeatedly observed this fact. Whilst the females use these organs for burrowing in sandbanks and making their nests. The tarsi of the front legs are dilated in many male beetles, or are furnished with broad cushions of hairs, and in many genera of water beetles they are armed with a round flat sucker, so that the male may adhere to the slippery body of the female. It is a much more unusual circumstance that the females of some water beetles, Dytiscus, have their elytra deeply grooved and in a cilius sulcatus thickly set with hairs, as an aid to the male. The females of some other water beetles, Hydroporus, have their elytra punctured for the same purpose. We have here a curious and inexplicable case of dimorphism, for some of the females of four European species of Dytiscus and of certain species of Hydroporus have their elytra smooth and no intermediate gradations between the sulcated or punctured and the quite smooth elytra have been observed. In the male of Crabrocrabrarius, it is the tibia which is dilated in a broad horny plate, with minute membranous dots giving to it a singular appearance like that of a riddle. 
The following statement about Penthe, and others in inverted commas, are taken from Mr. Walsh. In the male of Penthe, a genus of beetles, a few of the middle joints of the antennae are dilated and furnished on the inferior surface with cushions of hair, exactly like those on the tarsi of the carabidae, and obviously for the same end. In male dragonflies, the appendages at the tip of the tail are modified in an almost infinite variety of curious patterns to enable them to embrace the neck of the female. Lastly, in the males of many insects, the legs are furnished with peculiar spines, knobs, or spurs, or the whole leg is bowed or thickened, but this is by no means invariably a sexual character, or one pair or all three pairs are elongated, sometimes to an extravagant length. The sexes of many species in all the orders present differences, of which the meaning is not understood. One curious case is that of a beetle, the male of which has the left mandible much enlarged, so that the mouth is greatly distorted. In another Carabidus beetle, Eurynathus, we have the case, unique as far as known to Mr. Wollaston, of the head of the female being much broader and larger, though in a variable degree, than that of the male. Any number of such cases could be given. They abound in the Lepidoptera. One of the most extraordinary is that certain male butterflies have their forelegs more or less atrophied, with the tibia and tarsi reduced to mere rudimentary knobs. The wings, also in the two sexes, often differ in neuration. I may add that the wings in certain Hymenoptera differ in neuration according to sex, and sometimes considerably in outline, as in the Aerochorus epitus, which was shown to me in the British Museum by Mr. A. Butler. The males of certain South American butterflies have tufts of hair on the margins of the wings and horny excrescences on the discs of the posterior pair. In several British butterflies, as shown by Mr. Wanfer, the males alone are in parts clothed with peculiar scales. The use of the bright light of the female glowworm has been subject to much discussion. The male is feebly luminous, as are the larvae and even the eggs. It has been supposed by some authors that the light serves to frighten away enemies, and by others to guide the male to the female. At last Mr. Belt appears to have solved the difficulty. He finds that all the lampyridae which he has tried are highly distasteful to insectivorous mammals and birds. Hence, it is in accordance with Mr. Bates' view, hereafter to be explained, that many insects mimic the lampyridae closely in order to be mistaken for them, and thus to escape destruction. He further believes that the luminous species profit by being at once recognized and unpalatable. It is probable that the same explanation may be extended to the elaters, both sexes of which are highly luminous. It is not known why the wings of the female glowworm have not been developed, but in her present state she closely resembles a larva, and as larvae are so largely preyed on by many animals, we can understand why she has been rendered so much more luminous and conspicuous than the male, and why the larvae themselves are likewise luminous. Difference in size between the sexes With insects of all kinds, the males are commonly smaller than the females, and this difference can often be detected even in the larval state. So considerable is the difference between the male and female cocoons of the silk moth, Bombyx mori, that in France they are separated by a particular mode of weighing. In the lower classes of the animal kingdom, the greater size of females seems generally to depend on their developing an enormous number of ova, and this may to a certain extent hold good with insects. 
But Dr. Wallace has suggested a much more probable explanation. He finds, after carefully attending to the development of the caterpillars of Bombyx cynthia and Yamamai, and especially to that of some dwarfed caterpillars reared from a second brood on unnatural food, that in proportions as the individual moth is finer, so is the time required for its metamorphosis longer. And for this reason the female, which is the larger and heavier insect, from having to carry her numerous eggs, will be preceded by the male, which is smaller and has less to mature. Now, as most insects are short-lived, and as they are exposed to many dangers, it would manifestly be advantageous for the female to be impregnated as soon as possible. This end would be gained by the males being first matured in large numbers ready for the advent of the females. And this again would naturally follow, as Mr. A. R. Wallace has remarked, through natural selection. For the smaller male would be first matured, and thus would procreate a large number of offspring, which would inherit the reduced size of their male parents, whilst the larger males, from being matured later, would leave fewer offspring. There are, however, exceptions to the rule of male insects being smaller than the females, and some of these exceptions are intelligible. Size and strength would be an advantage to the males which fight for the possession of the females, and in these cases, as with the stag beetle, Lucanus, the males are larger than the females. There are, however, other beetles which are not known to fight together, of which the males exceed the females in size, and the meaning of this fact is not known. But in some of these cases, as with the huge dynasties and Megasoma, we can at least see that there would be no necessity for the males to be smaller than the females in order to be matured before them, for these beetles are not short-lived, and there would be ample time for the pairing of the sexes. So again, male dragonflies, Libellulidae, are sometimes sensibly larger and never smaller than the females. And as Mr. McLaughlin believes, they do not generally pair with the females until a week or fortnight has elapsed, and until they have assumed their proper masculine colors. But the most curious case, showing on what complex and easily overlooked relations so trifling a character as difference in size between the sexes may depend, is that of the aculeate hymenoptera. For Mr. F. Smith informs me that throughout nearly the whole of this large group, the males, in accordance with the general rule, are smaller than the females, and emerge about a week before them. But amongst the bees, the males of Apis mellifica, Anthidium manicatum, and Anthophora acervorum, and amongst the Fossores, the males of the Methoca ichneumonoides are larger than the females. The explanation of this anomaly is that a marriage flight is absolutely necessary with these species, and the male requires great strength and size in order to carry the female through the air. Increased size has here been acquired in opposition to the usual relation between size and the period of development, for the males, though larger, emerge before the smaller females. We will now review the several orders, selecting such facts as more particularly concern us. The Lepidoptera, butterflies and moths, will be retained for a separate chapter. Order Thysonura The members of this lowly organized order are wingless, dull-colored, minute insects with ugly, almost misshapen heads and bodies. Their sexes do not differ, but they are interesting as showing us that the males pay sedulous court to the females even low down in the animal scale. Sir J. Lubbock says, It is very amusing to see these little creatures, Smintherus luteus, coquetting together. The male, which is much smaller than the female, runs round her, and they butt one another standing face to face and moving backward and forward like two playful lambs. Then the female pretends to run away, and the male runs after her with a queer appearance of anger, gets in front, and stands facing her again. Then she turns coyly round, but he, quicker and more active, scuttles round too, and seems to whip her with his antennae. Then for a bit they stand face to face, play with their antennae, and seem to be all in all to one another. Order Diptera, flies. The sexes differ little in color. 
The greatest difference, known to Mr. F. Walker, is in the genus Bibio, in which the males are blackish or quite black, and the females obscure brownish-orange. The genus Elaphomyia, discovered by Mr. Wallace in New Guinea, is highly remarkable, as the males are furnished with horns, of which the females are quite destitute. The horns spring from beneath the eyes, and curiously resemble those of a stag, being either branched or palmated. In one of these species they equal the whole body in length. They might be thought to be adapted for fighting, but as in one species they are of a beautiful pink color, edged with black with a pale central stripe, and as these insects have altogether a very elegant appearance, it is perhaps more probable that they serve as ornaments. That the males of some diptera fight together is certain. Professor Westwood has several times seen this with Tapuli. The males of other diptera apparently try to win the females by their music. H. Mueller watched for some time two males of an Aristolus courting a female. They hovered above her and flew from side to side, making a high humming noise at the same time. Gnats and mosquitoes, culicity, also seem to attract each other by humming, and Professor Meyer has recently ascertained that the hairs on the antennae of the male vibrate in unison with the notes of a tuning fork within the range of sounds emitted by the female. The longer hairs vibrate sympathetically with the graver notes, and the shorter hairs with the higher notes. Landois also asserts that he has repeatedly drawn down a whole swarm of gnats by uttering a particular note. It may be added that the mental faculties of the diptera are probably higher than in most other insects, in accordance with their highly developed nervous system. See Mr. B. T. Lowne's interesting work on the anatomy of the blowfly Musa vomitoria, 1870. He remarks that the captured flies utter a peculiar plaintive note, and that this sound causes other flies to disappear. Order Hemiptera, field bugs. Mr. J. W. Douglas, who has particularly attended to the British species, has kindly given me an account of their sexual differences. The males of some species are furnished with wings, whilst the females are wingless. The sexes differ in the form of their bodies, elytra, antennae, and tarsi. But as the signification of these differences are unknown, they may be here passed over. The females are generally larger and more robust than the males. With British, and as far as Mr. Douglas knows, with exotic species, the sexes do not commonly differ much in color, but in about six British species the male is considerably darker than the female, and in about four other species the female is darker than the male. Both sexes of some species are beautifully colored, and as these insects emit an extremely nauseous odor, their conspicuous colors may serve as a signal that they are unpalatable to insectivorous animals. In some few cases their colors appear to be directly protective. Thus, Professor Hoffman informs me that he could hardly distinguish a small pink and green species from the buds on the trunks of lime trees, which this insect frequents. Some species of reduvidae make a stridulating noise, and in the case of Parades stridulus, this is said to be affected by the movement of the neck within the prothoracic cavity. According to Westring, reduvius personatus also stridulates, but I have no reason to suppose that this is a sexual character, excepting that with non-social insects there seems to be no use for sound-producing organs unless it be as a sexual call. Order Homoptera Everyone who has wandered in a tropical forest must have been astonished at the din made by the male cicadae. The females are mute. As the Grecian poet Xenarchus says, happy the cicadas live, since they all have voiceless wives. The noise thus made could be plainly heard on board the beagle, when anchored at a quarter of a mile from the shore of Brazil, and Captain Hancock says it can be heard at least the distance of a mile. The Greeks formerly kept, and the Chinese now keep, these insects in cages for the sake of their song, so that it must be pleasing to the ears of some men. The cicadidae usually sing during the day, whilst the fulgoridae appear to be night songsters. 
The sound, according to Landois, is produced by the vibration of the lips of the spiracles, which are set into motion by a current of air emitted from the trachea. But this view has lately been disputed. Dr. Powell appears to have proved that it is produced by the vibration of a membrane, set into action by a special muscle. In the living insect, while stridulating, this membrane can be seen to vibrate, and in the dead insect the proper sound is heard if the muscle, when a little dried and hardened, is pulled with the point of a pin. In the female, the whole complex musical apparatus is present, but is much less developed than in the male, and is never used for producing sound. With respect to the object of the music, Dr. Hartman, in speaking of the cicada septum decim of the United States, says, The drums are now, June 6th and 7th, 1851, heard in all directions. This I believe to be the marital summons from the males. Standing in thick chestnut sprouts, about as high as my head, where hundreds were around me, I observed the females coming around the drumming males. He adds, This season, August 1868, a dwarf pear tree in my garden produced about fifty larvae of cicada pruinosa, and I several times noticed the females to alight near a male while he was uttering his clanging notes. Fritz Müller writes to me from South Brazil that he has often listened to a musical contest between two or three males of a species with a particularly loud voice, seated at a considerable distance from each other. As soon as one had finished his song, another immediately began, and then another. As there is so much rivalry between the males, it is probable that the females not only find them by their sounds, but that, like female birds, they are excited or allured by the male with the most attractive voice. I have not heard of any well-marked cases of ornamental differences between the sexes of the homoptera. Mr. Douglas informs me that there are three British species in which the male is black or marked with black bands, whilst the females are pale-colored or obscure. Order Orthoptera, Crickets and Grasshoppers the males in the three saltatorial families, in this order, are remarkable for their musical powers, namely the Achetidae or crickets, the Locustidae, for which there is no equivalent English name, and the Acrididae or grasshoppers. The stridulation produced by some of the Locustidae is so loud that it can be heard during the night at the distance of a mile, and that made by certain species is not unmusical even to the human ear, so that the Indians on the Amazons keep them in wicker cages. All observers agree that the sounds serve either to call or excite the mute females. With respect to the migratory locusts of Russia, Korta has given an interesting case of selection by the female of a male. The males of this species, Pachytylus migratorius, whilst coupled with the female, stridulate from anger or jealousy if approached by other males. The house cricket, when surprised at night, uses its voice to warn its fellows. In North America, the katydid, Platyphylum concavum, one of the locustidae, is described as mounting on the upper branches of a tree, and in the evening beginning his noisy babble while rival notes issue from the neighboring trees, and the groves resound with the call of Katie did, she did, the live-long night. Mr. Bates, in speaking of the European field cricket, one of the Achetidae, says the male has been observed to place himself in the evening at the entrance of his burrow, and stridulate until a female approaches, when the louder notes are succeeded by a more subdued tone, whilst the successful musician caresses with his antennae the mate he has won. Mr. Bates gives a very interesting discussion on the gradations in the musical apparatus of the three families. Dr. Scudder was able to excite one of these insects to answer him by rubbing on a file with a quill. In both sexes, a remarkable auditory apparatus has been discovered by von Siebold, situated in the front legs. In the three families, the sounds are differently produced. In the males of the Achetidae, both wing covers have the same apparatus, and this, in the field cricket, consists, as described by Landois, 
of from 131 to 138 sharp transverse ridges or teeth on the underside of one of the nervures of the wing cover. This toothed nervure is rapidly scraped across a projecting smooth hard nervure on the upper surface of the opposite wing. First one wing is rubbed over the other, and then the movement is reversed. Both wings are raised a little at the same time, so as to increase the resonance. In some species, the wing covers of the males are furnished at the base with a talc-like plate. I here give a drawing of the teeth on the underside of the nervure of another species of gryllus, that is, gryllus domesticus. With respect to the formation of these teeth, Dr. Gruber has shown that they have been developed by the aid of selection from the minute scales and hairs with which the wings and body are covered, and I came to the same conclusion with respect to those of the coleoptera. But Dr. Gruber further shows that their development is in part directly due to the stimulus from the friction of one wing over the other. In the Locustidae, the opposite wing covers differ from each other in structure, and the action cannot, as in the last family, be reversed. The left wing, which acts as the bow, lies over the right wing, which serves as the fiddle. One of the nervures on the undersurface of the former is finely serrated, and is scraped across the prominent nervures on the upper surface of the opposite or right wing. In our British Phasgonura viridissima, it appears to me that the serrated nervure is rubbed against the rounded hind corner of the opposite wing, the edge of which is thickened, coloured brown, and very sharp. In the right wing, but not in the left, there is a little plate, as transparent as talc, surrounded by nervures, and called the speculum. In Ephippigervidium, a member of this same family, we have a curious subordinate modification, for the wing covers are greatly reduced in size, but the posterior part of the prothorax is elevated into a kind of dome over the wing covers, and which has probably the effect of increasing the sound. We thus see that the musical apparatus is more differentiated or specialized in the locustidae, which include, I believe, the most powerful performers in the order, than in the echididae, in which both wing covers have the same structure and the same function. Landois, however, detected in one of the locustidae, namely Edecticus, a short and narrow row of small teeth, mere rudiments on the inferior surface of the right wing cover, which underlies the other and is never used as the bow. I observed the same rudimentary structure on the underside of the right wing cover in Phasgonura viridissima. Hence we may infer with confidence that the locustidae are descended from a form in which, as in the existing Achetidae, both wing covers had serrated nervures on the undersurface and could be indifferently used as the bow, but that in the locustidae the two wing covers gradually became differentiated and perfected on the principle of the division of labor, the one to act exclusively as the bow and the other as the fiddle. Dr. Gruber takes the same view, and has shown that rudimentary teeth are commonly found on the inferior surface of the right wing. By what steps the more simple apparatus of the Achetidae originated we do not know, but it is probable that the basal portions of the wing covers originally overlapped each other, as they do at present, and that the friction of the nervures produced a grating sound, as is now the case with the wing covers of the females. Mr. Walsh also informs me that he has noticed that the female of the platyphylum concavum, when captured, makes a feeble grating noise by shuffling her wing covers together. A grating sound thus occasionally and accidentally made by males, if it served them ever so little as a love call to the females, might readily have been intensified through sexual selection by variations in the roughness of the nervures having been continually preserved. In the last and third family, namely the acridity or grasshoppers, the stridulation is produced in a very different manner, and, according to Dr. Scudder, is not so shrill as in the preceding families. The inner surface of the femur is furnished with a longitudinal row of minute, elegant, lancet-shaped elastic teeth from 85 to 93 in number, 
and these are scraped across the sharp projecting nervures on the wing covers, which are thus made to vibrate and resound. Harris says that when one of the males begins to play, he first bends the shank of the hind leg beneath the thigh where it is lodged in a furrow designed to receive it, and then draws the leg briskly up and down. He does not play both fiddles together, but alternately, first upon one and then on the other. In many species, the base of the abdomen is hollowed out in a great cavity, which is believed to act as a resounding board. In Numora, a South African genus belonging to the same family, we meet with a new and remarkable modification. In the males, a small notched ridge projects obliquely from each side of the abdomen, against which the hind femora are rubbed. As the male is furnished with wings, the female being wingless, it is remarkable that the thighs are not rubbed in the usual manner against the wing covers, but this may perhaps be accounted for by the unusually small size of the hind legs. I have not been able to examine the inner surface of the thighs, which, judging from analogy, would be finely serrated. The species of Pneumora have been more profoundly modified for the sake of stridulation than any other orthopterous insect, for in the male the whole body has been converted into a musical instrument, being distended with air like a great pellucid bladder, so as to increase the resonance. Mr. Trimmon informs me that at the Cape of Good Hope these insects make a wonderful noise during the night. In the three foregoing families, the females are almost always destitute of an efficient musical apparatus. But there are a few exceptions to this rule, for Dr. Gruber has shown that both sexes of Ephippidravidium are thus provided, though the organs differ in the male and the female to a certain extent. Hence we cannot suppose that they have been transferred from the male to the female, as appears to have been the case with the secondary sexual characters of many other animals. They must have been independently developed in the two sexes, which no doubt mutually called to each other during the season of love. In most other locustidae, but not according to Landois in Decticus, the females have rudiments of the stridulatory organs proper to the male, from whom it is probable that these have been transferred. Landois also found such rudiments on the undersurface of the wing covers of the female Echididae and on the femora of the female Acrididae. In the Homoptera also the females have the proper musical apparatus, in a functionless state, and we shall hereafter meet in other divisions of the animal kingdom with many instances of structures proper to the male being present in a rudimentary condition in the female. Landois has observed another important fact, namely that in the females of the Acrididae, the stridulating teeth on the femora remain throughout life in the same condition in which they first appear during the larval state in both sexes. In the males, on the other hand, they become further developed, and acquire their perfect structure at the last molt, when the insect is mature and ready to breed. From the facts now given, we see that the means by which the males of the Orthoptera produce their sounds are extremely diversified, and are altogether different from those employed by the Homoptera. Landois has recently found in certain Orthoptera rudimentary structures closely similar to the sound-producing organs in the Homoptera, and this is a surprising fact. But throughout the animal kingdom we often find the same object gained by the most diversified means. This seems due to the whole organization having undergone multifarious changes in the course of ages, and as part after part varied, different variations were taken advantage of for the same general purpose. The diversity of means for producing sound in the three families of the Orthoptera and in the Homoptera impresses the mind with the high importance of these structures to the males, for the sake of calling or alluring the females. We need feel no surprise at the amount of modification which the Orthoptera have undergone in this respect, as we now know from Dr. Scudder's remarkable discovery, that there has been more than ample time. 
This naturalist has lately found a fossil insect in the Devonian formation of New Brunswick, which is furnished with the well-known tympanum or stridulating apparatus of the male locustidae. The insect, though in most respects related to the Neuroptera, appears, as is so often the case with very ancient forms, to connect the two related orders of the Neuroptera and the Orthoptera. I have but little more to say on the Orthoptera. Some of the species are very pugnacious. When two male field crickets, Gryllus campestris, are confined together, they will fight till one kills the other. And the species of mantis are described as maneuvering with their sword-like front limbs like hussars with their sabers. The Chinese keep these insects in little bamboo cages and match them like gamecocks. With respect to color, some exotic locusts are beautifully ornamented, the posterior wings being marked with red, blue, and black. But, as throughout the order the sexes rarely differ much in color, it is not probable that they owe their bright tints to sexual selection. Conspicuous colors may be of use to these insects by giving notice that they are unpalatable. Thus it has been observed that a bright-colored Indian locust was invariably rejected when offered to birds and lizards. Some cases, however, are known of sexual differences in color in this order. The male of an American cricket is described as being as white as ivory, whilst the female varies from almost white to greenish-yellow or dusky. Mr. Walsh informs me that the adult male of Spectrum femoratum, one of the phasmidae, is of a shining brownish-yellow color, the adult female being of a dull, opaque, cinereous brown, the young of both sexes being green. Lastly, I may mention that the male of one curious kind of cricket is furnished with a long membranous appendage which falls over the face like a veil, but what its use may be is not known. Order Neuroptera Little need here be said, except as to color. In the ephemeridae, the sexes often differ slightly in their obscure tints, but it is not probable that the males are thus rendered attractive to the females. The libellulidae, or dragonflies, are ornamented with splendid green, blue, yellow, and vermilion metallic tints, and the sexes often differ. Thus, as Professor Westwood remarks, the males of some agrionidae are of a rich blue with black wings, whilst the females are fine green, with colorless wings. But in Agrion ramburi, these colors are exactly reversed in the two sexes. In the extensive North American genus of Heterina, the males alone have a beautiful carmine spot at the base of each wing. In Anax junius, the basal part of the abdomen, in the male, is a vivid ultramarine blue, and in the female, grass green. In the allied genus Gomphus, on the other hand, and in some other genera, the sexes differ but little in color. In closely allied forms throughout the animal kingdom, similar cases of the sexes differing greatly, or very little, or not at all, are of frequent occurrence. Although there is so wide a difference in color between the sexes of many libellulidae, it is often difficult to say which is the more brilliant, and the ordinary coloration of the two sexes is reversed, as we have just seen, in one species of agrion. It is not probable that these colors in any case have been gained as a protection. Mr. McLaughlin, who is closely attended to this family, writes to me that the dragonflies, the tyrants of the insect world, are the least liable of any insect to be attacked by birds or other enemies, and he believes that their bright colors serve as a sexual attraction. Certain dragonflies apparently are attracted by particular colors. Mr. Patterson observed that the agrionidae, of which the males are blue, settled in numbers on the blue float of a fishing line, whilst two other species are attracted by shining white colors. It is an interesting fact, first noted by Shelver, that in several genera belonging to two subfamilies, the males on first emergence from the pupal state are colored exactly like the females, 
but that their bodies in a short time assume a conspicuous milky blue tint owing to the exudation of a kind of oil soluble in ether and alcohol mr mclaughlin believes that in the male of libellula depressa this change of colour does not occur until nearly a fortnight after the metamorphosis when the sexes are ready to pair certain species of neurothemus present according to brower a curious case of dimorphism some of the females having ordinary wings whilst others have them very richly netted as in the males of the same species brower explains the phenomenon on darwinian principles by the supposition that the close netting of the veins is a secondary sexual character in the males which has been abruptly transferred to some of the females instead of as generally occurs to all of them Mr. McLaughlin informs me of another instance of dimorphism in several species of agrion, in which some individuals are of an orange colour, and these are invariably females. This is probably a case of reversion, for in the true libellulae, when the sexes differ in colour, the females are orange or yellow, so that supposing agrion to be descended from some primordial form which resembled the typical libellulae in its sexual characters, it would not be surprising that a tendency to vary in this manner should occur in the females alone. Although many dragonflies are large, powerful, and fierce insects, the males have not been observed by Mr. McLaughlin to fight together, excepting, as he believes, in some of the smaller species of agrion. In another group in this order, namely the termites or white ants, both sexes at the time of swarming may be seen running about, the male after the female, sometimes two chasing one female, and contending with great eagerness who shall win the prize. The atropopulsatorius is said to make a noise with its jaws, which is answered by other individuals. End of section 8